morning, hundreds and hundreds of you have been asking me where are sermon notes. So, okay, one of you did. So I have them in here this morning. It kind of helps you catch up to where we've been. This is such an incredibly powerful section of Scripture. I felt like even for these weeks together, I can't do it full justice to be able to unpack the richness of what God is saying in His Word. We so often say the Apostle Paul or James or John or Peter, whoever's writing, but it's the Word of God. And uh, He's used authors to write it, numbers of authors all the way down through history and time, but it's the Word of God. And God speaks to us through His Word. And this is such an incredibly powerful section of Scripture. I've tied it into our vision statement out there in the wall and on your bulletin this morning and began to unpack the piece, what does it look like to be transformed by faith in Christ? The last uh, year or so, if you remember in December when we gathered here together for our celebration Sunday, I talked to you about the fact that I felt like I needed to make a transition in my own ministry life and that is to concentrate more on Sunday morning and pastoral care. Now, it doesn't mean I can meet every need, but I'm doing the best that I can. And I spend a lot of time really heavily concentrating on what goes on on Sunday morning. I hope you've noticed. I'm not sure if you have, but I hope you have. In light of that, that means Bob Thomas, our executive pastor, has taken on a number of things underneath his umbrella. And as a result of that, this last year, the elders have come to the conclusion that we would love to split his position to pastoral ministry and talking about the ministry aspects under his umbrella and operations manager under another. And so over the next few weeks, you'll be seeing that in your bulletin, looking for somebody with ministry experience, but a business mind and a heart for ministry as well that can tie it in together. So you may be seeing some of that in your bulletin. You see it on our website in a couple of weeks, but I just wanted you to know that's why it helps us better carry out our mission and be able to do everything we can to be all that God's designed us to be, and our ministries are doing well, to tie in together to hopefully continuing to reach more and more people with the gospel of Christ. In this section of Scripture, we started last week, in the last half of Colossians, God gives us some really great advice, not advice for advice's sake, consider it if you don't like it, don't worry about it, but a real clear message on what it looks like when not only you commit yourself to Christ, but what it looks like beyond that. Two things that take place in your journey with God. Number one, coming to the realization that that's what you need to do, and that is begin that journey with God. Accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, not just to know that God exists or know there's a God. Most people in all of our context here, if I were to ask him, do you believe in God, would say yes. James says even de demons believe in God or know he exists. Matter of fact, sometimes they're more fearful than you and I are. But a matter of understanding and accepting Christ as my Savior to take the hands and the control off of my life and give it into the hands of God. Last Sunday morning, I had a young girl after the second service. I asked her permission to share her story. came up to me and said, I'd love to start this journey with Jesus. I said, what do you think that looks like? She says, I kind of figure it means I've got to take my hands off and let him control my life. I said, honey, you're on the right track. It's exactly what it means. If God is your co-pilot, you need to change seats. You need to have Jesus control your life. And so last Sunday morning, I had the privilege of leading her to faith in Christ. On Wednesday night, Brent Fell shared to the 5th and 6th graders, and Keith Kozik did on Thursday night to the 7th and 8th graders, what it means to start this journey with Christ. And literally dozens of them accepted Christ as their Savior for the very first time and are beginning this journey of transformation. Amen. Now they know that the first step they need to take is to invite Christ into their life, take the control out of their own hands and give it to the hands of Jesus. 
The next step and the continual step they take is to become transformed into the image of Son. That's God's ultimate desire for us is to look like Jesus. Not visually, not take on the same appearance or wear the same clothes, but to begin to look and respond like Jesus. His ultimate goal for us is to be conformed to the image of his son. To every day die to myself, to wake up in the morning saying, God, what do you want me to do with today? It's a gift from you and I want to live for you. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do what you've called me to do, but make me sensitive to your voice. I'm surrendering myself, I'm dying to self, and I'm giving my life to you day after day. I've given to you as Lord and as Savior. Now I want to let you control my life, and I want you to be the Lord of my life, the Lord of my decisions, and the Lord of my day. I said last week that great quote from Tozer, one of the reasons that Christians aren't always what they need to be and sometimes go backwards they, they want to have Christ in control of their life. They put him on the throne of their life, but every once in a while they pull the cross off and put themselves back up on. And then that last line of that, we want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. And Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's not me that lives anymore. The life that I now live, I live through faith in the Son of God. And I want to live my life for his glory. So in this context here in Colossians, God begins to unpack through the Apostle Paul what it looked like to make this transformation. It's pretty dramatic. It's not just simply a change of a tie or a change of a shirt. It's pretty dramatic, like that transformation that takes place from the butterfly to the caterpillar. It is a noticeable transformation. And so in the first half of Colossians 3, he said, Now, these are the things I want you to get rid of. I have no more. No more lying, no more cheating, no more immorality. No more wrath, anger, no more filthy language from your lips. Get rid of all that stuff. Now, in light of everything that God's done for you, in light of the fact that I said get rid of that stuff, here's some things that I want you to put on. This is what I want you to reflect. Not what you used to be and all those old things. This is what I want you to clothe yourself with. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as God has forgiven you over all of these virtues the outer garment should be love, which kind of binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you're called to peace. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms or hymns or songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Therefore... In light of what I just said, in light of all that you get rid of, I want you to put on these things. Compassion, kindness, humility. Not just simply feeling like I'm supposed to do something nice or it's supposed to be nice, but it just naturally wells up inside. We go to church on Sunday morning and everybody asks each other, how you doing? And our standard answer is what? Fine. You all right? Yep. Doing good? Yep. Had my devotion this morning. Carried my Bible. Look good. Don't I look good? I'm great. I'm good. No problem. Everything is fine. I mean, we all do that on Sunday morning. And sometimes in a large context, you don't know how to unpack your feelings or emotions anyhow, and I get that. We get criticized for doing that on Sunday morning, but that's pretty much how we operate. And so when you ask somebody how they're doing, the standard answer is fine. Everything okay? Yep. Doing good? Absolutely. Love God. Love my wife. Love my kids. Love being in church. Love you. you know, whatever that may be. But you know and I know that when you go to work, not everybody is fine. When you go to school, not everybody is fine. When you're in your neighborhood, not everybody is fine. 
When you're carrying out your daily activities and the people that walk into your life, not everyone is fine. Being able to walk like this is being able to walk through life sensitive to the Spirit of God that when I see someone that doesn't look fine and I know they're having a bad day, there's something inside of me and the Spirit of God is speaking to me that wants to see what I can do, that wants to kind of lift them up, brighten their day. Hopefully you do that with your kids. You know and I know that our kids go out into the world and everything, the life literally is sucked out of them because some of the situations and circumstances they face. And they come home desperately waiting for the wind to be put back in their sails. And they want it to be from you. Now, they're not running home saying, Mom, Dad, put the wind back in my sails. But you know that's what they need because the world has drained them. Your husband needs that. Your wife needs that. Whether you're out in the business world or you're at home taking care of little kids. I know more wives that need the wind put back in their sails by taking care of the little kids than 70 hours a week outside in the business world. And you had the opportunity and I had the opportunity to walk into their life like Jesus would do and kind of put the wind back in their sails, not drain them anymore. That's why he says you're constantly showing kindness and tenderness and compassion, humility, thinking of others more than yourself. You're showing meekness. You have patience with them. You're long-suffering. You're able to bear with one another. You give each other the opportunity to grow. You let them make mistakes. You build them up and not put them down. Those are great attributes when it comes to living the life that God has called us to. They're not activities. They can be carried out in an activity, but they're not activities for activity's sake. Religion is all about behavior. Jesus focuses on the heart. Because he knows once the heart is changed, everything else begins to change on top of that. Religion is all about changing outside activities and changing our behavior so that hopefully we'll be acceptable in God's sight. Jesus took us as we are. Doesn't expect us to stay that way, but he takes us as we are. Who did he most associate with when he was here during those three years of ministry? People who had their act together or people who were a mess? People who were a mess. And they were attracted to Jesus. Because they knew they would be accepted. And so when he said be conformed to the image of his son, he wants us to be the kind of people where people are attracted to us because they know we're going to be people of encouragement and grace and, and, and help them through that process of life. It dramatically changes once I embrace Jesus. I still remember my dad telling me what it was like to come to faith in Christ. He grew up in a Roman Catholic background. They went to church and didn't know much about God but knew he existed and didn't go to that faithfully and Fell in love with my mom, and she was going to Presbyterian church. And if you know anything about Catholicism, you can't be married in a Catholic church unless both of you are. And so he wasn't going that much, said, I'll go to your church. And so they did. That church happened to teach universalism, which is basically, give it your best shot. We're all going to heaven anyhow. And that's pretty much what they taught. Until a barber, of all things, invited him to a Christian businessmen's committee meeting and shared the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, the full message of Jesus Christ, and he heard the gospel for the first time in his life. And he accepted Christ as his Savior, and it dramatically changed his life. It changed his speech, changed his attitude. It changed everything about him. Matter of fact, he said, I carried, now, don't do this, but he said, I had a pack of mail pouch. None of you even know what that is except the sign on the barn. But he said, I had a pack of mail pouch that I carried in my back pocket for two months just to see if indeed he not only took away my language and changed my attitude and outlook on life, he actually changed my habits. And he said, it was so bad, it finally deteriorated in the back pocket of my pants. Now, 
I'll let you figure that out on your own. I'm thinking, did my mother never wash them or what? I don't get that. I think he actually changed it every time he changed pants. But he said, I was fascinated with the fact that once I committed, I couldn't change. I couldn't do any of those things before. I tried to change my habits and my attitude and my language and all that stuff. But once I accepted Christ, everything dramatically began to change because it was changing from the inside out, not from the outside in. Paul said, I, that's, that's what I want you to get. That's what I want you to understand. I want you to be people who understand grace and are able to give grace and extend grace to others. Who, as we said last Sunday morning, and I was again fascinated with how well it tied into what kids were learning in Upstreet and uh, family experience to, to wipe the slate clean, to not keep track, to not keep score. That's why he talks to us about forgiveness and grace and, and then over all of that to put on the garment of love. Now, Paul says this here in this particular context, over all of that, put on the garment of love, or over all of that, put on love, which binds it all together. You and I, in this day and age, Paul shared it 2,000 years ago, you and I can back up enough and say, okay, I know what love looks like, 1 Corinthians 13. When he uses that word, love, they probably had a concept of what it looked like, but man, did he ever flesh it out for you and I in 1 Corinthians 13. He said it's not about your abilities it's not about how well you perform it's about how you display love i mean he wrote this to a church that really had a lot of issues he wrote first corinthians 13 through a church that was wrestling with everything from that old way of life and trying to desperately display what it looked like to be embracing jesus and weren't getting it so in the middle of all of that he wrote first corinthians 13 he said look it doesn't really matter how great of an orator i am if I don't have love, I'm nothing more than a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, really, really had it down pat, and I could fathom all mysteries and I had all knowledge, if I could have faith, it would move a mountain, and it moved. But I didn't have love, I, I'm nothing. I could get everything that I have away. That's activity. But if I don't display love, I really gain nothing. Love's patient, kind, not envious, not proud doesn't dishonor, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and never, ever keeps score. I don't know if you've ever read it, uh, the Word of God from The Message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrased rendition, but I love how he does 1 Corinthians 13. One song, there's a guy from, uh, he's got to be from Australia, right, with that voice, that quotes that from The Message. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but I don't love, I am nothing but a creaking, clanging of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all mysteries, making everything as plain as day, doesn't matter how good of a preacher or musician I am, if I have faith that could move mountains, but I don't love, it's really nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, even if I go to the stake and be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So really, no matter what I say and what I do, without love, I'm bankrupt. It never gives up, cares more for others than itself, Never keeps score, doesn't fly off the handle. It's not always about me first. It trusts God. It always looks for the best, and it keeps going to the end. God says through the Apostle Paul, your outer garment over all the things that you display should be genuine, honest, from the heart and soul love. Verse 16, he said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Or verse 15, let the peace of Christ Rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. 
Colossians, every one of us, I'm sure, have a guiding verse or my life verse or a verse that really I use a lot. Colossians 3.15 is probably one of my favorite. It's one of the verses that I utilize to help me understand how to make decisions, whether it be a career decision or a major decision in my life. I'll use that as one of the principles. When I'm wrestling with a decision, I want the peace of Christ to make the final call. The term, as you see in your notes this morning, comes from the athletic arena. literally means let the peace of Christ be the umpire of your heart. When you're wrestling with a decision, I hope there are a number of things that utilize to help you come up with that. What do I sense God's calling me to do? What do I sense God's asking me to do? What is my gifting? How am I wired? Am I wired for this? God made you. You are miraculously, wonderfully, meticulously formed by the hands of creative God. He's not going to call you to do something that you're not wired to do because he made you. So what is God, how has God wired me? What do others recognize looking for the confirmation of others? And do I have the peace of Christ before I make this decision? A lot of people make decisions in life based on economics or based on the hours of the day or what it is that it offers or prestige or whatever the title may be. I hope you make decisions, and, and, and I, I always want to certainly look back at the decisions I've made and make them with, what do I sense God want me to do? Well, how has he wired me? How has he gifted? What do others see? And in this decision, as I make it or before I make it, do I have the peace of Christ that this is the right decision? If not, you, you don't want to walk through life without the peace of Christ. You'll also notice in here that he not only says that we are to allow the peace of Christ to make the final call, he said we are to be people of peace. We are to be people who seek peace and do everything we can to maintain it. Over and over again in God's word, he reminds us that we are to be people within the context of the body of Christ to do everything we possibly can to maintain peace, to maintain unity, to be people of peace. doesn't mean we won't disagree. It's always how we disagree. It won't mean that we don't look at life different. It's how we do that. If you're one of those, you, always, you ever notice that there are some people in life who just love to stir up the pot? You ever notice that? They just love to stir things up. You need to know that's not from God. You may claim it is. That's how he made me. No, it isn't. Any of you raised puppies? You notice how three of them can be sleeping, and there's one that constantly has to wind everybody else up in that. You may have that in your family. Everything's at peace. Everything's at harmony. We've got one family member who constantly has to stir the pot. Now, if you're a follower of Christ... You don't want to be that person. You want to do everything you possibly can to maintain peace, to be a person of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. As much as lies within you, God says, live at peace with all people. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to respond well to that. They may not like you. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to make sure that you do everything you can to live at peace, to live at harmony with other people. You're not always responsible for their reaction toward that. But he said, not only do I allow the peace of Christ to make the final call, I want to be a person of peace, that maintains peace, that seeks peace wherever I can in the middle of circumstances that many times may be really tense and tight. But I want to be a person that does everything I can to bring harmony and unity. Not everyone will agree, but I don't want to be the one that's always the negative. I want to do what I can to bring unity. We also want to be people, he says in here, that display gratitude. Not just say thanks, but really live with hearts of gratitude. I am overwhelmed. You are overwhelmed, whatever that may look like, with what God does for you and in you and through you and in spite of you. And because of that, I want to be a person that displays gratitude. 
He continues his description of body life in verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Notice in this verse here that at center stage is the word of Christ. At center stage is the word of Christ. The mature, transformed follower of Jesus allows the word of Christ, he says in here, to dwell in them richly. The word dwell means to what? Abide. The last few chapters of John's rendition of Jesus walking toward the cross, we're going to talk about him on Good Friday night, to me stand out like neon signs. And in that 15th chapter, Jesus talking to these guys, knowing he's leaving, knowing he's returning to God, knowing that he's entrusted the entire communication of the gospel message to the world to these 12 guys, says to them, look, I want you to abide in me. I want you to stay in me. I want you to stay connected to me. I am the vine, you're the branches, but you've got to stay connected to me. You've got to abide in the word. You've got to make sure you're connected to the word of God. It's going to be your center focus. It's going to be your stabilizer in the midst of all the certainty. They had no idea what they were in for when they said yes to Jesus. But he said, look, if you abide in me, if you stay in me, if you allow my word to abide in you, you'll be blown away with what you're going to see take place. But you've got to be connected to him. And one of the best ways to do that is in the word. And that's how he says we ought to be abiding in the word richly. Not superficially, but richly. Not just know where your Bible's at, but know it. Not just know that you have a Bible and can quote John 3, 16 or one or two verses, but it dwells in you richly. One of the reasons we put so much emphasis on being in the Word, the walk through the Bible and so many other things we do, why I preach the way I do on Sunday mornings, what I feel God's called me to do while I'm here in my ministry with you, is to be people of the Word and to be in the Word. We live in a world of biblical illiteracy. Our kids don't know Bible stories. We do everything we possibly can during that one hour a week, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks in regards to our responsibility as parents. But we have kids and children and people and adults sitting in pews every Sunday who've been here all their life who really don't know the Word of God that well. One of the best quotes that I ever heard, Keith Kozik actually gave it to me. It's from A.W. Tozer. He said, the reason that so many people don't get into the Word is they have no intention of doing what it says. One of the main reasons that people do not get into the Word is they have no intention of doing what it says. I think it was Mark Twain who said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that make me nervous. It's the things in the Bible that I do understand that scare me to death. And the reason that we don't get into the Word as much as we should is we're not sure if we want to follow what it says. Paul says, we've got to be people of the Word. It is your center focus in the midst of all the uncertainties of life. Anytime we come together with the Word of God, we center around the Word of God. Every time we spend time in music and celebration, our, our worship, our adoration always centers in and focuses in on the Word of Christ, and it should naturally lead us to maturity in Him. But we have to be in the Word. He finishes this verse by talking about how it's fleshed out and, and what that looks like. He talks about uh, as we sing, as we admonish one another, as we teach with all wisdom, as we do psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitudes in our hearts. Examples of how New Testament Christians worshipped 
are hard to find. Examples of what we do on Sunday morning in the Word of God is a little hard to find. Think with me for a moment. Jesus is gathering people together. They're just flocking to him. He's ready to do the Sermon on the Mount. He's standing on the top of a mountain, thousands of people in front of him. Not one time do you see him say, Hey, Pete, John, Jim, you guys get the band going. Sing a few songs. When you're done, I'll do the Sermon on the Mount. You don't see that in the Word. You don't see it anywhere in the ministry of Jesus. Never did he say, Pete, you do the guitar. John, you do the drums. Jim, you do whatever it is that you do. I know you guys are sons of thunder, so you're probably going to want to do drums. Whatever you all do, you guys do it. Get a few songs going and I'll preach. You don't see it anywhere. So it's a little hard to find out or flesh out exactly what it is that we're to do on Sunday morning. In Acts chapter 2, the first Christians in verse 42 devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. No mention of how to conduct what we do on Sunday morning or how to conduct a service. At Corinth, everyone had a hymn. Everyone had a revelation. Everyone had a tongue. So much so that Paul was given clear instructions that our worship was intended to build up the body of Christ and not inflate egos of those who are turning it into a performance. So how do we do church on Sunday morning? God gives us discernment. And he gives us wisdom and gives us the ability to be able to understand what it is that we sense him wanting us to do. But there's no real clear rendition of how it's to lay out and what an hour and a half is supposed to look like. Especially in the larger setting when the context of believers gather together. The one thing, one of the mediums that God has given us, music to express our love and adoration to the living God has been the source of contention for years. A.B. Simpson was beat up over the fact that some of his hymns were taken from bar songs that he changed the words to so the people who knew the tune could sing to the glory of God. The list is endless of stories down through the ages of this battle that's taken place between how we're to do Sunday morning and what is right as if someone knows exactly what is right or what Jesus did. And then the transition between organ and piano led to band led and all the things that go with that. Criticism of watering down the gospel to entertain the masses and of course, you have a large crowd. Look at what you do and how you celebrate. People are drawn to that, but we're a mile wide and an inch deep. You think I haven't heard those things in 35 years of doing ministry? The one thing that God has given us is sense of music and adoration and all the instruments that Psalm 50 and David over and over again and Psalms and Chronicles says, give glory to God with every instrument and every breath you have has been the source of contention for years. And I understand that. Some courses that have been written down through the ages could be rendered to God or your boyfriend or girlfriend. They sound a lot alike. There are courses and songs that never seem to end. I love Tim Hawkins when he was here that says, you guys wear me out sometimes because the song never ends. I grew up in the 70s when music was the best. Right? <laughs> right? Remember the song? Yeah. Remember the song? Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. You remember that one? Yeah, three of you do. Remember there's a line in that song that was repeated how many times? 26 times. Song was, the words were what? I know. I know, 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 I know. 
I remember my wife's mom coming to her and said, the record player is stuck. Record player is a small round thing like this. <laughs> Has a needle that goes around. And she said, mom would walk into there and say, the record player is stuck. Move the needle. She said, that's the way the song goes. 26 times I know. You know what Connie's answer was? Yeah, I know. <laughs> if we're not careful, sometimes we can do that with our music. And I get all of that. And we guard that. We do the best we can. we got to make sure that we display adoration for God and not the town of people. I've said to every music director I've ever had, if someone raises their hands in glory to God on Sunday morning on the stage, they better do it in the audience because if they don't do it in the audience, they better not be on the stage. Everything we do, Paul said, doesn't matter whether it's psalms or hymns. We'll debate it till Jesus comes back and never solves it. But every single thing we ought to do ought to be done for the glory of God and with gratitude in our hearts. Everything. Whatever you do, hymns, choruses, songs from the heart, songs from the spirit, whatever you do in word or action, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's no way on this planet Anybody could criticize the songs we sang this morning. Awesome. Whatever you do, though, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. That verse, and you'll find it over the next few weeks, that verse not only speaks backwards. Look at verse 17. I mean, look down in your word. Whatever you do, word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. That verse looks backwards in light of the transition that I'm taking the journey that I'm on of getting rid of the old and taking on the new, and it looks forward, beginning in verse 18 and on. It started in verse 13. It looks forward into how I flesh that out in every relationship that I have. In the body of Christ, on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night, in your small group, in my home, in my marriage, with my kids, at work, and in relationships. Read these last few verses all the way up until chapter 4, verse 6, and you will be fascinated with how that single verse, verse 17, fleshes itself out in every relationship I have. This process that the Word of God describes, beginning at chapter 3 and ending in the middle of chapter 4, begins here. It begins at the cross. We celebrate communion this morning as we do every Sunday or every month, and we pass out the elements. If you're visiting us today, we're so honored to have you. What you will notice is that the bread and the tray are in one cup and are in one plate, and we just ask you to help everybody beside you to serve it. If you can do that, we'd appreciate it because there's some spaces and we get that. And then we want you to hold it to everyone is served. Justin's going to lead us in a song, just a wonderful, one of my favorite songs. And we'll end in celebration. During this time, I want, I'm asking you, you, you do what it is that you sense the Spirit of God asking you to do. What I'd love for you and I to do that I'm doing is, Father, I look at what you've done for me. And I look at how you loved me. And how you gave your life so that I could have life in you allowed your body to go to the cross and your blood to be shed so that my sins could be washed away, never to be reminded again. And, and I want to be a person that does, I want to I I live this out. 
junk I've got to get rid of. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, help me to get rid of it. And, Father, I want to demonstrate your character. I want others to see that I'm being conformed to the image of your Son. And so, Lord, help me in this area. It may be with my tongue. It may be with my speech. It may be with my attitude. Maybe whatever that may be, would you just spend some time with him and let him speak to you and hear you speak to him. And then I'm going to come back up. We'll lead you in it. And we're going to sing a celebration. If you don't know Christ as Savior, you can do that today. The only requirement we have at Community Alliance participating in communion is that you know Jesus as Savior. You don't have to be a member here any church. But you know Christ as Savior. And we're going to pass it out. Now, you can do it where you're at. Ask him forgiveness. Acknowledge your sin and invite him into your life. And then we're going to allow you to share. But talk to him. And let him talk to you about this word. You and I hold in our hands God's greatest gift to humanity. Himself. Unbelievable grace and forgiveness. Offered freely to all of us. For take. As you hold these elements in your hand this morning, you understand that they represent who he is and what he's done. And you and I who know Christ as Savior, hopefully all of us in this room, have the opportunity every time we hold him to celebrate what he's done for me. Every time you do this, do it in memory of him. So in honor of him this morning and what he's done for us, partake and share. Grace is so overwhelming, God. Your love for humanity is unbelievable that you would do this for us. That you offer us forgiveness and life and grace. An opportunity to be at one and at peace with you and be right with God. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to lay down everything, even your hold on divinity, to become a man so that you could take our sin and pay the price that we should have paid on the cross of Calvary. I am so glad you rose from the dead and gave us the opportunity to live life. So as we live it, help us to be people who display it everywhere we go because of what we received in Jesus' name. Amen. Shine most out there and here. So don't let it just shine here. Let it shine here and out there. Have a great day. God bless you in amazing ways.